Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm back. Have you all missed me? Tons. Absolutely shed loads. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened without me? Um, we had uh, Paul and Brooker together again. And you know how that normally ends. Uh, um, uh. But they, they actually did a fantastic job together. Paul was great. Um, and then last week, Tony Black hosted... And we had the guys, uh, Ben and Daryl from Sudden Double Deep, who were also pretty good. Um, and I would, uh, yeah, I've invited them both back again in the future. But, you know, obviously, Steve, now you're back, we can run a tighter ship and things will be less self-congratulatory, I'm sure. Um, and it will all just go smoothly. There's plenty of needless backslapping now I'm back. <laughs> yeah. Loads of it. Um, so, yes, I'm back and I'm joined by Owen Hughes. That, yes, that was me talking. Just Yes, now. doing all that chatting. Uh, and Callum Petch. Hello. As we take a crack at the last week or so in film um, with a review of Sausage Party to end the podcast. But we're all looking forward to that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What a party it will be. Yeah, full of sausage. Sausage party meets podcast party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's how all of our podcasts have been since Carol left, basically, aren't they? Just all sausage parties. Yes, have we had a single female voice on this since Carol left? Oh, man. When was Holly Tronsden on? She was on talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm. I think that was it. That was ages ago as well. We are a very white male podcast. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I mean, we are we are not ticking any boxes anywhere. No, but um, you know, we're not elitist. We're not all privately educated Etonians, so there's that. No, just just me and Paul. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, are you trying to say we're the Oasis of podcasts, Owen? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, in a roundabout sort of way. Yeah, sure. We're um. So what you're trying to say is our first three years were phenomenal and fantastic and unbeatable, and then it's just a downward slide from there. Is that we're going to slide yeah. away? Yeah, yeah. God, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd never come back. <laughs> I, I I tried so hard to not give him the satisfaction of a laugh there, and I could I couldn't <laughs> do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, puns. You just set them up. I'll knock them down. That's how they work. Anyway, let's crack oh. on. Because um, I've prepared a quiz, and apparently I'm already 1-0 down. Oh, yes, you are. Um, and it, it's Owen versus Callum. Callum trying to win points on my behalf. So with, with Sausage Party, 
um, being the main review, mm -hmm. I have themed my quiz around films with food in the title. <laughs> right. I, I thought that was the obvious choice there for your like like for your for your film choice, uh, good for your quiz choice even. Uh, Real realistically and in hindsight, I should have done films a uh, quiz based around films where there's a party. But no. Yeah. Or you, went... could have, or you could have picked or how, you could have had an entire like quiz based just on the works of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg since they've been involved in pretty much every film for the last twenty for the yeah. last ten years at this point. I could have done a films quiz with that, sausages with, in yeah. them. Yes. Um, name one other than Sausage Party, Owen. Uh, Weeder. Um, I made that one up. I don't even know if it's a film. Porkies. How about that one? I'll, I'll let you have Porkies. <laughs> okay. I'll let you have Porkies. Pugsy the dog movie. Because he's a dog and he eats sausages. Because he's a dog. Oh, the guffaws. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, the, what I did was I looked on Box Office Mojo and I looked at... The films, so basically I'm going to name two films mm -hmm. that have got food or drink in the title. Um, and you have to tell me, guess which one that has, according to Box Office at Mojo, the highest lifetime gross as of today. Um, so the first one is milk or salt? Uh, milk. I'm going to go salt. Callum is correct with salt. <gasps> salt has grossed 118 million Dollary dues, milk thirty-two million. Uh, yeah, domestic because uh, Salt was a proper, you know, mm -hmm. wide-release action movie with Angelina Jolie, and Milk was an award-season movie, and they never make money. Yeah, that's true. Next up, I have got American Pie versus Pineapple Express. Ooh, American Pie, surely. I am gonna go. You know what? I don't actually think I think Pineapple Express was actually kind of a bomb in theaters and only became huge on DVD. I'm going to go American Pie. Okay, both gone for American Pie. That leaves it uh, well at two one to Callum as American Pie is the correct answer with 103 million dollars. Pineapple Express 87 million. Oh, uh, not bad. Ne mm. ne next up, we have the Johnny Depp version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Oh, now, now I wanted to take this up against. Um, the Gene Wilder version, but it didn't seem to be on the website, so I went with Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs as the the one to to take oh, it. Off. Oh, that's oh, tough. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think probably Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm pretty sure Charlie was one of the highest grossing films of 2005. Mm. So I'm going to go Charlie. It is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 206 yeah. million against 125 million. Wow. Doubled it nearly. Uh, assuming Johnny Depp was the was the pool there that kind of mm. got more pe more bums on seats. Also, this was this was at the exact point just before people started getting sick of Tim Burton again. He, yeah. he has yeah. he has like he has peaks and valleys like an actual wave. Like there are times mm -hmm. when people really like him, but they all hate him. But for some reason, like him again, they but, go back to hate. Yeah, him again. you say you say for some reason, cause it's not like he's doing something good in between to like spark a, an interest and in, and in, like love of him again. He's just producing shit, but he will get a peak. Well, I mean, recent, recently, yes, but I mean, admittedly, um, before Charlie suddenly became big again, I actually think Big Fish was actually a really good film, and then, of course, <laughs> he did do Sweeney Todd, and I liked Sweeney Todd in any case, um, even with questionable singing from most of the cast, let's face it. It's one of these that's often held up as a, a good example of a um, Tim Burton film. I just didn't get on with that film at all. 
Sweeney Todd. Also, Big Eyes was actually quite good the other year. Just putting that out there for people. Oh yeah, that one kind of. Ran... I mean, I, I liked Frank and Weenie as well. Actually, I thought that I was quite good. Frank but, you know... and Weenie, it is. It is here though. I need to watch it. I've heard great things about it. It's really. It, I mean, I'm a big um, Vincent Price fan as well, so it's it's obviously appealing to my kind of nostalgia and stuff. But it's yeah, it's it's great. I guess it's also the point where I have to admit, even though it's not a Tim Burton film, but I still have yet to actually watch Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Wow! Dra- drag yeah, me! Is... Drag me! Fail critics, listeners. <laughs> anyway, anyways, let's move on for quiz. Okay, so that's three down, two left to go. Uh, next up is Chicken Run versus Space Jam. Jam being the food. <laughs> yeah. Space Jam. Not space cakes. <laughs> although, or, although technically, yeah. it doesn't in in the it's not referring to jam, the fruity preserve. Are you sure you're not describing the porn parody here? <laughs> well. Come on and slam and welcome to the jam. Mm. Lovely. Yeah, I think it's Space Jam. Okay, Callum? I know Chicken Run came in just under 100 million, but Space Jam, I'm pretty sure, made more. According to, to Box Office Mojo, you're both wrong. Chicken Run was 106 million, Space Jam just 90. What? Okay. Do you know what? I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm not even mad. I'm not upset that I got that wrong. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. Again, Space uh, Jam literally existing purely as a result of a fucking Nike commercial. Mm, mm. I still like Space Jam, though. Oh, no, I like Space Jam as well. I just, <laughs> I just continue to have no idea who that movie is for. But they, are, they are making a Space Jam 2, apparently. No, they're not. They've been We've... saying that for the last two decades. No, no this, is genu- this is genuine. And some other basketball player... LeBron James. Let me say LeBron James until I Google it now and find out differently. It, yeah, it is LeBron because he was in um, yeah. train wreck. Those rumours started up after he got in train wreck and started up again after Justin Lin mentioned him and went up to Star Trek Beyond that he'd like to make a Space Jam sequel for some reason. Uh, but Why no, no, not? It's not, it's not going to happen. For what? For one, because Star Trek hasn't made any money so Lin's probably going in the box office doghouse for the time being. Um, but two, what perfect way to get out is by making Space Jam 2. They've been trying to make Space Jam 2 for years. It's not going to happen. And Warner Brothers fucking hates the Looney Tunes anyway. Well, so. I mean, I mean, f- football's big now. They should make a Space Jam 2, but with football. <laughs> stop, stop stop giving them ideas, Steve. I know. Please. Just let's, let's not give them any more. Especially, especially since whatever I have to sit through next, we'll have, we'll have to have a rap song with the 2016 equivalent of Method Man, Be Real, LL Cool J and Buster Rhymes. And I don't, I don't like the sounds of that. I really don't. Oh, and Coolio, who we always forget for some reason. Oh, yeah. Just, just anyway. like in life in general, everybody just forgets Coolio. It's it's 3-2 um, to, to Callum at the moment. There's one left. Mm-hmm. And that is... And I, I was scraping the barrel when I got to this point because there were some films that I, they just didn't seem to be on um, Box Office Mojo for this. Like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes was not on there. Oh, that's real. That's real. That's a real movie. Yeah, I've got it on DVD. But it was fucking ridiculous. I didn't. I didn't get any um, box office mojo stats for it, so I went with Children of the Corn versus Chocolat. These are uh, okay. The first one is one of those terrible schlocky B movies. Yeah, I think isn't Chocolat. No, no, I'm going to say Chocolat. I'm going to have to go the opposite of Callum in the hope that I get a point. Uh, you you didn't get a point. No, Callum, I didn't has, think Callum I has won. Yeah, Chocolat um, is the Lassie Halston movie, right? Sh- Chocolat uh, 
Yeah, 71 million, Children of Corn 15. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a Lassie Halstrom movie, if I remember. So, so Callum and therefore me wins the quiz, and it's uh, one all going into the next week. Yeah. If only I'd trusted my instincts and gone chicken run, I could have done a clean sweep yeah. there. Mm. Which um, are worth two points, obvious. In this rule, I just made up just now. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just start getting really ballsy with the quiz now. Like when it's two 0 I'll go double or quits with Owen and just lose. Just on the risk spot. it. I know yeah. I've got two films lined up for you to watch, so um, you can go as ballsy as you like, Steve. Let's go. Balls yeah. out. Also, also, I'm I'm <laughs> back on next week as well. So oh can, yeah, maybe start dreaming. You know, start start making plans. You mm. never know. Got to think of the new release and find out the less obvious tie-in with that for the quiz rather than the obvious one. Kubo and the two strings next week. Mm. And also, and Hello High Water. Oh, yeah. Time. Sorry, we'll do, we'll do it at the end of the show where we get all hyped about next week's films. When Owen forgets what's happening next week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's move on to news. Yes, yeah, so let's move on to the news. Where the major bit of news that we've got this week is that Jackie Chan has been given an honorary Oscar. Um, Owen is probably the, the biggest Jackie, fan, Jackie Chan fan. Jackie Fan Chan. Jackie Chan fan, Fan yeah. Chan. Yeah. Um, that's not racist. It's as long as you don't slip. As, as long, well, seeing as it was a genuine mistake, you didn't slip into an Asian accent all of a sudden. Then you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. yeah. Were you poking the, you know, your fingers towards the edge of your eyes when you were doing that as well? Yeah. Have you seen that picture of Ronaldo at, at yeah. Japan? What that was what I was doing at the yeah. time. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, he's been giving an honorary honorary Oscar. Um, yeah. and, and Owen, you said earlier you were very happy about this decision. Um, only in the sense that I am a big fan of Jackie Chan's and... Um, oh, you pulled that off well. What? <laughs> big fan of Jackie Chan. You didn't make any mistakes there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jackie Chan and yeah. he, uh, his work. And, um, it's you know, it's always nice when people that you admire or you respect are, are given some recognition or further recognition. Um, I guess partly by the Academy because it's seen as such a prestigious... Um, uh, award but it, it yeah i mean I, i'm glad to see him picking up this little bit of uh gold from them and but it doesn't i mean ultimately it's pretty meaningless isn't it because he's never actually been nominated for anything it's just like when roger corman got an oscar and you know as seems to happen every so often the people that they have overlooked for so long they just go yeah we can't let this happen it's like when john wayne won an oscar was effectively because they don't. Well, we haven't given any, any Oscars yet, even though uh, we probably should. I thought he won for True Grit. He got one for True Grit, yeah, but that was 1969. Oh, 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 oh I thought you were talking just in terms of honorary Oscars in general. Okay. No, he yeah he won. No, no, just I mean like they kind of felt bad about the whole John Wayne thing and gave him an Oscar. In the end, yeah. True Grit. I mean, True Grit is good, but it's not his best performance. I mean, that's is it? Like, you could also describe that to basically ninety percent of awards that are won at the, at the um, Oscars of the year recently. Now, can't you? I guess so. Yeah, DiCaprio was one. DiCaprio, McConaughey performance. Yeah, yeah. But um, still, no, nothing. Yeah, no, nothing honorary wise will top the time when Walt Disney won honorary Oscars for Snow White instead of actually being able to be not eligible to be nominated for anything. Yeah. Mm. So uh, on back onto the topic of Jackie Chan, how do you guys feel about him getting an honorary Oscar? Not bothered? Think it's great? Think it's ridiculous? What's the uh, what's the general opinion? I just like to see Western releases of his Chinese directed films. That would be nice. Yes. Mm. I mean, could could they have not done it at the next Oscar ceremony to give it a bit more 
kind of. Honorary Oscars, I believe, don't actually get nominated, don't get handed out anywhere near the ceremony itself. So this is basically just part of the course. Yeah. It's, yeah. Sort of like, remember, we're still a thing. We exist and we judge all your films. Here's an honorary Oscar. Um. In any case, whatever happens, it, it, it's, it's nice that he's got some kind of recognition because, uh, I mean, of course, none of his actual, you know, films like that got recognition because the ones that made him a household name are the kind of films the Academy never touches with a 20 foot pole. So it, it's still nice for him to get a recognition in any case, although it's just further evidence that awards are meaningless because Jackie Chan was always going to be loved and remembered far more than that guy who won for Dallas Buyers Club the other year. Uh, not the leading one, the supporting one. You know, that one guy goes off, plays in a band every now and again. Can't remember his name. Kind of a douche, I remember. Just escaped. Say no more. Yep. Um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the thing, I mean, the thing about Jackie Chan as well is that he's one of these who's mentioned in the past, as well as Jason Statham's been a big fan of this, about stunt actors not getting yes. awards um, and there's no category for them you know and the, the stunts that Jackie Chan well obviously doesn't really do so much anymore but throughout the sort of 80s into the 90s it was absolutely insane and he would get no actual recognition from the academy for stuff like that yeah it's just it, it's just crazy but you know if he should be nominated for an Oscar I mean he's not the best actor in the world yes he can be really funny he's got good comic timing and all that but he has amazing comic timing so much hard to pull off than people yeah, think yeah. there. So don't try and undersell him as an actor. Okay, he was like, he, he's a. He, I, I keep saying was in that there. He still, he still is. Cause thankfully, <laughs> yeah. thankfully, twenty sixteen hasn't taken him, unlike everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so mo- mostly his, mostly his roles in in western films are uh, uh, comedies. Does he bumbling sidekick kind of thing? Yeah. Does he? Does he in his kind of non western films? Does he? keep up with that or does he no. do more serious is he completely different he does pro- he does a lot of um like proper epics i think he, he tries to do more serious drama stuff as well he said about uh oh, it must have been about 10 years ago that he was pretty much done with um kind of slapstick comedy and and these action films that he's been doing he basically said i don't want any more of these i want to you know i'm older now i'm i'll get tired more easily i can't keep doing these stunts all the time and he wanted to do more kind of romantic dramas i don't think the romantic dramas ever panned out because let's face it it would be a bit creepy um but hey, hey he's des- he's deserved the chance now basically to be able to just stop and do whatever he wants as well and, yeah, and oh, obviously make it a smart yeah, decision, yeah. decision of getting out while he can still you know so he's not spending his last years in a wheelchair or anything so yeah, well, he did. He did um, Shinjuku incident, which was pretty good. That's mainly. I mean, there is a little bit of action in it, but no more so than a, a normal kind of thriller. Um, that, and he was really good in that. Um, he did. Uh, was it Three Kingdoms, which is a, was a pretty big epic film. I think it's actually made its way onto Netflix now as well. Um, he, he he does churn out a lot of movies so much so that he's. Was it sixty something million pounds he made last year? It was the second highest grossing actor. So I mean, you know, he's yeah. still raking it in. Whatever he's doing. Um, other news: uh, London Film Festival uh, has, has had its lineup announced, and Callum, I think you were, hope well, wishing that you were able to to go to a few of the. Uh, well, I put this way: a um. I have absolutely not been spending the last week putting together a dream list of what I would see if I could go for all the weeks, but uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, both the weeks. But I have actually um, decided to cash in all my remaining, uh, all my 
what few remaining funds I do have go to go down for a couple of days and watch films because uh, tickets are quite expensive. Um, yeah. Yes. But in any case, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, London Film Festival running from the 4th of October through to the, tw- uh, through to the 17th of October, playing all mm-hmm. around London. Uh, I've had a run through the entire list here as well. I've got a personal set of lists of, of air films I'd like to see if I could, but um, I'll run through some of the big names. The, uh, people that there, mm-hmm. uh, opening the festival is um, a United Kingdom, which is a romance, a romantic drama starring Ros- Rosamund Pike and David Oyelowo. Um, I believe it's getting some decent awards buzz. Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't strike me as um, opening night material either, but it's also apparently a drama about interracial love as well. So that's probably going to do interest. Interest. Okay. Presumably, that's here because they couldn't get Jeff Nichols loving. I guess so. Uh, mm. Oh god, I'm 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 really annoyed. Loving in the UK is of course going to be postponed till next year because otherwise we could have had two Jeff Nichols movies this year. Two that would have been so worth it. And closing the festival for you BFI members who are eligible for the ticket ballot instead of the rest of us filthy commoners who don't get the chance is the European premiere <laughs> of Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. I am, I am oh, incredibly. Right. Mm incredibly bitter about the fact that even if i were able to go i would not be able to see free fire just oh oh jealous so jealous that's coming out next year um <laughs> I, I don't think i've ever seen a ben wheatley film in uh, the cinema I'm, I'm kind of gutted about that i don't think it will ever happen because they don't seem to make it to the I, cinema. I only got very lucky and got, by being able to see high rise because of the whole independent cinema project mm-hmm. that there because high rise completely skipped whole but right. they managed to get screened there for that one-off special screening in that there so I got, I mean, I mean, it was in a theater, you know, like a proper, you know, theater in that there, which, uh, which just plays, which yep. just shows film in a little side cupboard, basically. But um, I got to see High Rise on a cinema screen, and you know what? It's gorgeous. So there we go. Um, other films out here as well, a big um, gala premiere, so to speak. Uh, there is the premiere of Kenneth Lonergan's Manchester by the Sea. Uh, Kenneth Lonergan of uh, Margaret from a few years back, like Long Glade, mm-hmm. but it was apparently actually really great. Uh, Manchester obviously has been tearing it up with um, through festivals over the past year. Um, I think A.A. Dowd of the AV Club especially has called it a masterpiece in his favourite film of the year so far, and it's not actually out anywhere yet, so that'll be interesting. Um, there's Damien Chazelle's La La Land, um, follow-up to Whiplash, a old-fashioned Hollywood-style musical about um, an aspiring jazz pianist played by uh, Ryan Gosling and an aspiring actress played by Emma Stone falling in love. Um, that's been doing really well. Uh, we also have Peterson, the new Jim Jarmusch film with Adam Driver. Um, uh, birth of uh, Nat, uh, Nat, uh, Nat um, Turner's Birth of uh, the Birth of a Nation. Um, Denis Villeneuve's mm-hmm. Arrival. Uh, oh god, I'm, I'm specifically timing my day that I go to London so I can just get in and watch Arrival. But, but I, I don't, I don't care. It's out <laughs> exactly a month to the day after it's being shown about there. I, if I get a chance to see a Denis Villeneuve movie early, I'm going to take that opportunity. Um, uh, Oliver Stone Snowden is also one of the premieres there as well, and uh, yeah, there's about other films around here that have a, that are a bit lower down. I'd like to um, point out for people as opportunity as well. Um, Paul Verhoeven's L, mm-hmm. the uh, rape revenge movie about a female mm-hmm. video game executive who goes on revenge against her tormentors, which since it's by Paul Verhoeven, will only be handled in the classiest of ways, like I could tell. Uh, 
But I mean, that's that's kind of his. No, no, no. Stick, I, I know, though, isn't, isn't it? it? That's actually. I, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Oliver Sizes Personal Shopper, um, which is uh, Kristen Stewart Ghost Story, which has drawn equal parts raves and booze. So and cr- cr- nice. cr- claims of genius and pretentious. So you got that. Um, mm. Ava DuVernay's uh, The 13th, which is a documentary about the 13th Amendment, about um, America's, uh, how the American justice system is predominantly weighted against um, black people uh, as well. That's coming to Netflix, I believe, a, a short while afterwards, but it's getting a premiere at um, the London Film Festival as well. So there's that. Uh, speaking of Netflix movies that are also getting screenings there, um, Christopher Guest Mascots is getting a screening there as well. Uh, Mike Burbigler's Don't Think Twice is playing there as well, a comedy drama about an improv group um, with Burbigler, um, Gillian Jacobs, Hugh Michael Key. Um, it looks phenomenal. Apparently, it is great. Uh, uh, both Christine and Kate Plays Christine are playing at the festival as well, which um, uh, Christine is a fictionalized, it is a um, biopic, and Kate Plays Christine is a documentary about um, Christine uh, Chubbuck, who um, was a television journalist who killed herself live, who shot herself um, and killed herself live on air in the 1970s. Um, Christine is a, dra- a fictionalized drama version with Christine being played by Rebecca Hall. Kate Plays Christine is a documentary about an actress supposedly preparing for the role in a film version of her story, but apparently starts blurring the lines between documentary and fiction very quickly. Both have been getting raves. Um, very excited to see that. Tower, which is a documentary about the University of Texas um, sniper shootings in the year ni- uh, from back in 1966, um, which tells the story both through standard interviews, um, recreations, and animation, and animated recre- rotoscoped animations of the shootings themselves. Um, that's been getting a lot of big praises. Uh, the Pass, which is a drama about um, two football players who, the night before a big game, find themselves having to share a hotel room and possibly giving in to homosexual urges with each other um, that could change their dynamic forever. Uh, that's been getting good reviews. Uh, Trespass Against Us, which is um, a new Adam Smith film. Adam Smith, who's collaborated with the Chemical Brothers um, a lot as well, but they're a crime drama with uh, Michael Fassbender and Brendan Gleeson and a new score by the Chemical Brothers as well. as there. Uh, Raw, which is a movie about a vegan, who, about a um, young vegan woman who is forced by um, her male friends to eat some meat and turns into a cannibal as a result as you do. Uh, Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women is playing there as well. Um, Stopover, which is a um, French drama about uh, female, about a, um, a regiment of French soldiers on their way back from Afghanistan to stop over back in Cyprus as the two female members of their team ends up um, get becoming victims of sexual harassment and misogyny. Um, it's directors and screenwriters Delphine and Marielle um, Cooling won best screenplay it can for that as well. So there's that. And um, finally, because yes, I am I'm wrapping up now. We can all move on with our lives. Um, <laughs> Revenge as well, which is the new film from Alice Lowe, who you might know as the co-writer and star of uh, Ben Wheatley's Sightseers, which is mm-hmm. a um, thriller about a pregnant woman who believes that her unborn child is telling her to kill people. Um What's notable here is what not just for the lunacy of that premise is the fact that it's actually uh, is that Lowe plays the lead actress and was seven months pregnant at the time of directing, writing, starring in that movie as wow. well. Um, so so it, it sounds crazy um, in, in any case, yeah. as well as um, 
another piece of you know quiet female empowerment but there so i'm looking at that's just some of this also ridiculous list that does not include i completely forgot to mention the handmaiden the new park chan wook film is also playing there uh, which, mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. god, I want to see that so badly because it's Park Chan Wook. Uh, I need to watch Stoker again. I haven't watched Stoker in a while. Stoker was great. Uh, okay, but yeah, that's yeah. just some of the list of the giant amount of films that are playing at the festival. Um, that mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it's a good list. It's, good, it's a nice outside list. And if somebody would like to either help secure me a press pass or pay for me to be able to just go and see <laughs> all the films there forever, then I will love you forever. I promise you high quality articles. Maybe, 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 maybe not high quality, but uh, some, some, the kind of quality you usually associate with me. Okay. So I can promise you that. Also in film festival news, Isle of Man film festival is happening on this probably smaller scale than the London one. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a, it is a little bit, but we've got Matt Lamborn who um, has been on the podcast loads. Um, he's uh, based out of the Isle of Man, but he's uh, actually judging one of the categories over there. Um, is judging the best short comedy. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's taking place on Thursday this week, 8th of September. Starts at 7pm, I believe. And they've got things like uh, an outdoor screening of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Labyrinth at a castle. So I'm sure that'll be pretty awesome. They've got a Q&A with um, the prop designer from Stranger Things, a Q&A with Mark Mode, who will be interviewing a special guest, who we don't know who that is yet. Uh, it'll be announced at the time. Uh, yeah, loads of stuff, loads of films showing there. It's well worth having a, a quick look if you're out that way. Uh, and of course, Matt will be bringing us articles on the website about what's going on and um, what won the category really he's judging, of course. He treats it like when Homer Simpson became film critic. <laughs> yes. I like a man gets hit in football and growing with football. Yeah, because <laughs> a man getting hit in the groin with a football. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm sure Matt will be more professional than that, um, as he always. I don't, I don't know. Is that a short film of a man being hit in the groin with a football? Well, I'm sure as he is judging best short comedy. Uh, if not, then we should submit one quickly before yeah. the deadline. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so that is film festivals happening all over the beautiful British Isles. Um, <laughs> we're attending in part time now for what we've been watching when we take a look at some of the films we've all seen over the last week or so uh, I'm going to start off I've seen The Butterfly Effect starring Ashton Kutcher who now seems to have disappeared from all film and TV work, but does some advert for some computers. Charlie Sheen probably killed him. And um, there's an advert he does with a dancing slice of pizza or something. I don't know. Um, He still does adverts. But... (laughs) Yeah, it's like, like a reverse child actor, like re- like successful to start with, and then gets worse and less and less. But anyway, he was in the Butterfly Effect, which is a time travel film, which mm-hmm. grasped my attention straight away because anything involving time travel that's less complicated than Primer is is a <laughs> thumbs up in my book. <laughs> I need to watch Primer again because I did not get it the first time. It might what? melt. It might melt my brain. 
read the graph that's online and then I've, watch it again. Uh, I've tried reading oh, the graph. Oh, gee, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I can't enjoy a movie unless I've read a very long graph the entire before I actually sit down and watch said movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I need. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's like if I need, it's like if to be able to properly enjoy Lord of the Rings in the cinema, they just handed out giant cliff notes of useless facts as you went in and out there and told you to read it whilst the film was going yeah, on. That, just, the, that's just, what just, the, just gave you the appendices of, of Return of the King. And so right, before you watch, just read that. Huh. Read all 20 okay. about, there'll be a quiz. <laughs> You'll need to get a certain score before we'll play the film. Yeah. Uh, but no, the butterfly effect. So, Ashton Kutcher is, um, is somebody who, I think he's inherited this from his father, this kind of ability to by reading back through his his old diaries, um, travel back in time to you know different different times, inhabit his body yeah. at that age and, and change what happened. Um, and he does this a few times with positive effects, negative effects, dif- differing effects, um, trying to change his past to help himself, benefit himself, benefit his friends, and. Um, Gets gets it wrong more often than not. Uh, mm-hmm. Ends up, you know, ends up in prison for certain things. Ends up in psychiatric hospitals. Uh, ends up with no with his no arms from being in the, in the explosion, um, and all, all kinds of things. And um, I I did I did enjoy. I, I don't think I enjoyed it because of any of the performances were particularly excellent. I just think I liked the concept and anything involving time travel. And the plot was quite good. There were a few twists in there. Um, some very predictable, some not so predictable. There were a few interesting ideas. I, I we spoke about this before. The ending uh, was was a bit bland and yeah, didn't, didn't didn't really fit with the tone of the film for me. But then the alternative ending was just completely mental and, and probably one more fitting, not not fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. Made uh, perhaps made a bit more sense for a mainstream yes. kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It seemed like they tried to tack, tack on what was as much of a happy ending as there could have been. Mm-hmm. It just seemed a bit unnecessary. Um, it's kind of hilarious. They tried to make a mainstream movie about that one. This movie clearly only existed because Donnie Darko suddenly became a thing. Yes, game. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but no, it, it's I, it passed me by completely. I'd heard about it, so I know what the the butterfly effect is is a is a principle is as well, but I just yeah the film passed me by until looking for something to watch on Netflix and I, and I settled on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I managed to settle on something that quickly, but you saw Ashton Kutcher and was like, "Yep, I'm down. I, I am down to Ashton Kutcher." That's that's what decided it clearly. Yeah, <laughs> I've been watching repeats of that '70s show on Five Star, and I just thought, what I need in my life is a bit more Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> I'm not watching two and I'm, I'm not watching two and a half men post Charlie Sheen because, quite frankly, that's an insult to the great man. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to do is put on the butterfly effect. And I guess then you 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 thought it was a good choice because uh, it, it wasn't like... the end a good choice. Yes, I said the ending does spoil it a bit, but in general, it was it was a thoroughly enjoyable hour. Yep. Or, you know, nearly two hours. Um, I've I've heard there are sequels. I've heard not to watch the sequels. <laughs> The, the second, I think it's a second one. Um, the second one is he looks at photographs. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, just awful. I've, really heard it, awful. I've heard it's essentially the same film, but, but the guy, the protagonist is a dick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's, 
it's not like some films where they try to make someone a dick and you go, oh, he's a dick, but at least they've written him that way. It's like he's an absolute tosser, but actually it doesn't seem like they're aware that he's a tosser. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, an annoying character and not a very good film at all. It just kind of lacks any of the, the I wouldn't say charm of the first one, but any of the ambition of it anyway. Yeah. Um, next up there, Owen, what have you seen this week? Um, well, see, I knew that I had to watch something for this week's podcast. Well, I mean, that, that is the idea you, you, of a film you, podcast, Owen. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, you don't have to because Steve rarely ever watches anything. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, unusual, isn't it? That Steve's seen something the week that you're on. Isn't that what usually happens? Just the one week where Steve skips something is when Callum's here. Just to show off. <laughs> you don't. You don't um, stick to your rules, man. Yeah, I uh, had about a two-hour window at the weekend where I knew I could squeeze something in, and I did similar. I just looked onto. I flicked onto Netflix on Saturday morning. I had a look at the recently added list, and lo and behold, staring me in the face was Piranha, the Roger Corman film or produced film directed by Joe Dante from 1978. Um, I hadn't actually caught anything else by Roger Corman for a long while now. There wasn't a rewatch anyway, so it's the first time I was watching one of his films from that era for the first time. And I think that's the weird thing that is the fact that I'd never seen Piranha before. Because I I love creature features. I love Roger Corman movies. I like B-movies. You know, stuff like Arachnophobia, Anaconda, Tremors, Rogue. Piranha 3 Double D. The first Piranha, not so bad. Piranha 3 Double D. The best thing about that is the poster. I know it's really sleazy, but I just think that is such a beautifully designed poster. I just love the colours of it. I don't know what it is. It's just... I shouldn't like it, because it's just a woman's tits and her lips that are... Anyway, anyway. Yeah, you realise so, I set that up for a simple... For, for like, for just a simple that shit there. There you go, doing a giant, very awkward tangent about boobs. Yeah, yeah. But I don't like the poster for that. It just looks very John Carpenter-esque. And I, anyway, anyway, I am piranha? going off, off. Yeah, more about Piranha. So, um, you know, these, these films about so-called super beasts, there's just something about them that I enjoy. You know, just nature going batshit crazy. Um, usually it does involve women in bikinis being munched by an animal. Um, but somehow Piranha had, uh, had escaped me in the past. It's directed by Joe Dante, as I say, of uh, Gremlins and uh, The Burbs and The Howling fame. And Looney Tunes uh, back and, in action. <laughs> thank you very much, and Looney Tunes back in action. He started out in film, though, by working for Roger Corman, uh, editing trailers for, for their, well, for Roger Corman's uh, company, New World Pictures. And I think, like a lot of people, like Jack Nicholson, and Sylvester Stallone and Ron Howard. Sylvester Stallone, who isn't dead, by the way, after the rumour circulated earlier on Twitter. Still very much alive, apparently. Um, Yeah, you know, those two, Ron Howard, James Cameron, who directed the sequel to Piranha, you know, they all owe a debt of gratitude to to Corman for igniting their career in movies. Um, 
But anyway, uh, I am getting away from the point again. Uh, Piranhas, I mean, it basically, it, it essentially follows a reporter type woman. I'm not sure what her actual job is, but she's investigating something. And there's a rugged mountain man who's a bit of an alcoholic who uh, together they accidentally release mutated piranha into the local mountain river whilst looking for two missing backpackers. Uh, two missing backpackers who we see eaten alive at the start of the film. Um, which, to be fair, was their own fault. Uh, if you came across a random reservoir in the pitch black in an old abandoned military facility, would you go skinny dipping in it? Well, I mean, I wouldn't expect there to be piranhas in there. But really, though, on the mountainside where it's apparently quite cold, you wouldn't just go skinny dipping in this horrible concrete reservoir. I mean, who who were the characters who went skinny dipping? Um, just two backpackers. But like, they didn't even know if they had names. But, One of them was clearly there just to get her top off and show a bit of. Muscle. Well, I mean, exactly. That's that's so. A guy thought he was going to cop on, didn't he? So that's. <laughs> I guess that was, so. that, that was that was why. If she, it, I don't know what her motives were, but if she starts getting her kit off and jumping in the reservoir, you're probably going to do the same. That's very true. I guess the, there is logic to it after all. Well, there's, um, there's logic for he, the, the guy's point of view. There's the still, guy's point still of view. no logic so, for why she was bloody doing it. Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, you know, I would have thought, what are they expecting to be in there? Of course, of course, it's going to be filled with man-eating mutant South American fish, created specifically as a form of uh, germ warfare, despite not actually being germs or warfare. So, well, that's apparently the point of them. They were genetically engineered by the American military, secretly. <sighs> anyway, it kind of descends into pretty standard fare. Um, you know, understand what the monsters are, try to stop the monsters, try to avoid being eaten by the monsters, save other people from being eaten by the monsters, then kill the monsters. That's the basic, basic premise of it, like most creature features. Uh, it came out... Of, few years after Jaws. I think Jaws was 75 and this was 78. And it basically just rides on the coattails of that film's success. Um, as much of Roger Corman's movies at the time tried to do is, you know, just piggyback on other successful features. Um, I, I did like the film, though. You get to see a glimmer of what Dante would later master by mixing his kind of black cartoonish humour and actual horror. Um there's a scene with the uh, two protagonists sneaking around that laboratory uh, with all weird, like, stop-motion and puppet creatures in the background just climbing about who they don't notice. And it is, like, it is very Joe, Dun uh, Joe Dante. The, the characterisation of the protagonist is less so. Um, I understand from looking at IMDb that Bradford Dillman uh, was considered a proper actor at the time, not the kind that would normally work on schlocky New World Pictures films. Uh, and apparently he wasn't too happy with the original script because he thought his character was 2D, too bland. Um, so, yeah, basically they said, yep, that's true, because the actors we normally get are shit. We don't normally get proper actors. So they rewrote his part for him, knowing that he could supposedly pull it off. Um so they kind of gave him a bit more backstory, um, hinting at like a troubled past and relationships with his wife and a strained relationship with his daughter, uh, who happens to be at a summer camp down the river. 
Uh, but, it, you know, it's still fairly one note so far as these films go. It's I don't think they really give him or any of the characters much depth. Essentially, all you want from a film like Piranha, and the genius of Roger Corman is knowing what the audience wants, is that all you want is just some gory death scenes, a bit of humour, and some cheap thrills. Um, often in the form of naked people, as was the the thing for these exploitation films, but which is which it kind of delivers in spades, all the, the you know the humor and the gore and stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but these movies always bring out like a primal fear in me, which is just basically being eaten is probably the worst way to die. Just seeing something chewing and swallowing bits of you, just it just makes me feel off. It's you know it's just a kind of a bit perverse, and it's. I mean, arguably, it's a natural way to die in a, a weird sort of way, right? Being eaten because we eat other animals, other animals eat other animals. Um, We're going to have to assume then that Sausage Party absolutely terrified you, Owen. <laughs> well, Sausage Party was after after this, so yeah, it was a trembling wreck. Um, but, you know, it's just that idea, I think, is it, it's just a kind of repellent notion and... This, perhaps more so than Jaws even, plays on that fear of being eaten. Not just dying, but being eaten. It plays on it quite spectacularly. You know, just being gnawed to death by rabid fish. Uh, it's pretty grim. And actually, the whole film is surprisingly grim as fuck, because it goes really dark at one point. Um, I know The Howling. Of all of uh, Joe Dante's films, The Howling is probably the only one I've seen that's thought, this is quite dark. This is this at one particular point goes further than that. Because um, it has the it has the trope of people being at a beach, being attacked in the water, you know, which is, is standard for a movie of this this caliber. But there's a there's a whole like two or three minutes devoted to seeing children who all of whom were probably aged ten or under being attacked in the lake by the piranha, and they scream in agony. And even when, like, the heroes turn up to save them, they're still sobbing children everywhere with massive chunks taken out of their limbs and their bodies. And, you know, even though he's triumphantly there to save them, it's just like the the background noise is just crying, upset, dying children. It's really quite disturbing. Um, and more, certainly more so than the rest of the film had kind of set me up to expect. I was expecting kind of camp schlocky horror but it was it, it, it really took a twist um but overall it is a decent monster horror film uh you know you can expect tits and muff as probably most of the audience were expecting it's a you can expect like a grizzled man who drinks too much um uh but you know you can also expect fish puppets on sticks to be waggled at people under the water so it's a lot of fun and worth poke if you get kind of 90 minutes to yourself with nothing better to do Okay, um, Callum, what is it you've seen for us this week? Uh, well, you make a size if I specifically pick out a film for you. <laughs> I, I chose to. I, I, cho- I chose. No, I, I I watch movies for myself. Thank you kindly. Uh, I am I am an independent man. I do I do my I do what I want when I want. What I do most of the time now is just bob around doing nothing. Anyways, uh. <laughs> Uh, this week I rewatched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World for the first time in I'm pretty sure it's three years. Like uh, as far as I can recall, I have not watched this film since I went to university, uh, which was kind of, which was kind of like inconceivable to me really because 
for way back when I actually kept track of this stuff, um, Scott Pilgrim as well was my favorite film of all time. Uh, like my my absolute personal favorite film of all. Um, so to have not actually have honestly not seen it in three years. This is one of those things where I just occasionally just realised I haven't watched Scott Pilgrim ages. I go like, dear God, what on earth is wrong with me? And then me being me, not actually getting out to be watching it. Um, but really, I finally sat down, I rewatched it, and I honestly did so with kind of a trepidation, to be honest. Um, because it's it's what, like, because Scott Pilgrim vs. World was my favourite film of all time, not just because of the film itself, which is I mean, it's an Edgar Wright film, so, you know, it's brilliant, obviously. Um, and phenomenally constructed and all that. But no, Scott Pilgrim as well was my favourite film um, from basically the first second I started watching it. Because when I first saw it in the cinemas at um, age 15, it basically felt like my film. Like, like, like it straight up felt like my film. Like, uh, like having sat down to watch it, like Edgar Wright had specifically gone out and crafted a movie for my sensibilities about my personal uh you know playing on my personal favorite things my knowledge of like all the useless crap i'd stored up and discovered that over the years um but it felt like it was for me that i end up investing kind of a lot in the film um like really got into scott pilgrim plus the graphic novels as well which i um ordered and received on the exact same day i went and saw the film um so but like for a long time i had a lot of like i really connected with scott pilgrim um in terms of uh, like the music in there as well which basically just covers all the smorgasbord of indie music you can find um including perfectly nailing down that kind of crappy like that crappy scrappy garage band feeling out there who you could tell are semi-popular in the hometown but have really do not have the skills chops or anything I had to make it bigger of themselves. Um, video game references, like specific video game references, you know, to um, any, you know, to years of the NES, um, 8-bit era, or, um, Final Fantasy, uh, like having Zelda music, um, uh, motifs in the background, all that kind of stuff. Um, Kung, um, classic Kung Fu movies um, and action cinema in general, which are hallmarks of Edgar Wright's work in general as well. Um, ro- uh, for romance, well, uh, which played a lot on. Not that I realised at the course of the time, because I was kind of too young to properly grab onto subtext and that there. But um, the, the way that the connections between Scott and Ramona and the maturation and that there, the way they go through and all that kind of stuff, and that there, like the film really connected with me. It felt like my movie. Um, but of course, the last three years, I have changed a lot. Um, like in, in in many 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 ways, um, some ways have actually grown. M- many of us not, as evidenced by the fact that I'm still on here. Um, but it like, like so like kind of saying that I was kind of worried that um, I that it, even if I did enjoy it, that it wouldn't be the same. That I might have changed too much. That the film wouldn't have held too much resonance for me anymore. But um, how or how like worst case scenario. But it was actually just kind of bad and terrible. This thing that I loved to connect with for so much about that was actually terrible when you go back and look at it with fresh objective eyes. Uh, and so I sat down and watched it and then was basically laughing about after about 45 seconds and didn't stop until the film had finished. Um, yeah, it's it's still phenomenal. And I breathed a sigh of relief and everything was right with the world. <laughs> um, it, no, it is. It's, but, um, 
but I also appreciate it even more now as well. Like I appreciate it for all the reasons that I did back then. Again, again, for the way that it was so attuned to my sensibilities, sensibilities to the kind of stuff that I like, to the fi- kind of nonsense out there that I wasn't really getting in other films at the time. But you still don't really get in other films like today as well. But also specifically in other ways that um, the film works as both inarguably the best video game movie of all time. Um, and probably also the best comic book adaptation of all time as well. Like even though it may, even though the third one it gets, the more it has to deviate from Brian Lee O'Malley's novel, um, graphic novels, because mm-hmm. of course they weren't finished at the time. From it's honestly still kind of amazing how well it's actually able to still hit all the exact same points that the novel does in that there, with that has more time to breathe in that there, but still in the exact same way. Um, Initially watching it, I was kind of feared that um, Ramona, of course, would end up getting the short shrift and just be, um, you know, kind of a loose manic pixie dream girl um, cliche out there. That of course the book, that of course the graphic novels go out to avoid. Um, but instead, it, but instead of watching back, it made me realize that Ramona actually does go on an arc. She like she does go on an arc. She grows on a journey out there. It's just most of her character arc had been finished prior to the film, and then this one's all about her. But of course, in the film, then it just mainly skips ahead to be. Um, no longer running away part in that there. The way that um, Scott's arc matures in that there, how basically how it's able to condense all this giant stuff that takes a lot of, again, that takes six whole volumes of quite like, of relatively lengthy books in that there to get through, and is able to sufficiently compress it in a way that it honestly doesn't feel like it's missing anything for the most part. Um, or at the very least in that core trio of Scott, Knives, and Mona in that there. So, then, so it, it ends up working not just on a literal level of way, but uh, like on a literal adaptation, best adaptation ever level, on the way that it's probably able to bring that kind of graphic novel one scene flowing into the next and out there as this perfectly tightly contained movie. The Edgar Wright movies are just so, like, are always. And out there, like, like all of his movies, you could just sit down out there and everything, more so than, like, more so than all movies in general, because of course, you know, all movies are constructed products and out there where every element has been fine-tuned and fussed over and that there. But with Edgar Wright movies, it's really, like, like you're constantly drawn to the fact that everything has been meticulously designed so that it flows and just builds and out there, which is also incidentally why I never understand why anybody who says that that movie takes 30 minutes to get going. Like, like I, I, I really don't understand that and that there. It, 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 it's fine from minute one. Like, it, it's always building, always going that there, and it's always fascinating to watch. Um, so it works on the literal sense of how it's able to trans work, translate um, graphic novel comic conventions into film, but also just, again, in the way that it's been able to be so faithful whilst making sweeping changes, yet without actually changing the core dynamic of the film. And on that note, uh, how the hell did we come this close to having a, to having Scott end up with knives at the end of the movie? Like, like how did we come <laughs> this close to that? Which was the original ending until um, they found out, until... Right, found out O'Malley did actually end up having Ramona, um, like mm-hmm. starting up with Ramona in that there, so had to go back and reshoot. Like, how, how, how did that even happen? Like, if that were to happen, that negates the entire character arcs yeah. of Scott, uh, of Scott and Knives completely in that there. How, no, no, do you know, do you know what? Never mind. The, the, important, the important part is the film, as we have in that there, is this phenomenally brilliant little movie in that there, but still my movie, but I still have huge resonance and fond memories uh, and connection to today in greater appreciation for and uh, and it's once again now my favorite film ever and all is right with the world i i remember being so disappointed when they cast michael cera as scott pilgrim because i was reading the comics prior to it being adapted and it was just like so aggrieved that they decided that they were going to cast the super bad guy 
And um, turns out it was actually quite good. So what did I know? I mean, I, this was before I'd seen him in Arrested Development, of course. So yeah, I, I was going to say I've always liked Michael Cera, though. So mm. I, I mean, I mean, has he made some bad films? Yes. Has he made some very bad films? Yes. Yes, he has. But, he <laughs> got, but, but hasn't everybody? And also, yeah. I just find him kind of um, like like kind of just entertaining puns to watch, um, especially when he's given roles that don't just rely on the typecasting and that bad. Which I mean is. Yeah. Is less Sarah's fault as than it is just visionless movie executives. True. Especially since it helps here as well, of course, the fact that Wright, uh, Edgar Wright especially, just knew exactly who he wanted to cast for every single role, mm-hmm. pretty much right off the bat. So, um, on, on that note, Brie Larson needs to sing more. Like, like in, in, <laughs> more, in more films. Like, in, in, Captain, in Captain Marvel, she just needs to have a giant musical number for no particular... Like, it, it, no reason at all, just give her a musical number. Just let her do that as well. Uh... So every second of Brie Larson's Envy Adams is 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 hilarious. It, it really is. Brandon Ralph's um on a related note as well. Brian Lee O'Malley is going to be at a um comic convention, I believe, in Midlands. In a while as well, one of my uh, which, yeah yeah, which one of my one of my friends is going. She's apparently going to ask him what Chris Evans smells like. You know, asking the important, <laughs> asking the important questions that I personally need to know the answers to. Obviously, mm-hmm. there we go. Because that's what friends do. That's what yeah. friends do. Here we are then, our main release review for this week, the long-awaited comedy, animated adult comedy sausage party uh, you, starring... You, you, could not, you, could not sound, you could not sound more sincere. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's one of them things where you just think, I really wish something else had been out this week so I had something worthy to talk about than this pure old shite. I would have thought that you might quite like this film because I know that you've you you've you were the one who turned me on to some of these comedies, which I would never have watched anyway. Um, Such as, um, uh, <laughs> this is the end. I think you you recommended to me. This is the end was was very good, and it was some celebrities playing themselves, but be actually quite self aware and and taking taking a lot of swipes at themselves. Um, but but it's the same writer combo, you know, um, Seth Rogen and... Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, it, it is them, them two writing. Um, and, I mean, plus also Ariel Schaffer and Kyle Hunter from a story by Rogan and Goldberg and Jonah Hill. Sorry, just, just, just wanting to put accreditation to all the writers here. It's not just a two-man operation. So we can slag them all off. Um, anyway, so the film is um, about some some food, uh, sausages and buns primarily, who um, who find out that uh, when you get bought by humans, you're not going off to this promised land. You're actually going to get eaten, and they don't like that idea, so they try and do something about it. If anybody actually wants to watch this film after this podcast here, then I'll be absolutely amazed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole film is essentially an excuse to make a sausage fuck a bun, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. The premise sounds stupid. Yeah. But when, but when you give the premise a lot of, like, Pixar films, mm-hmm. it might sound a bit stupid. Not as stupid as this, admittedly, but it might sound a bit, you know, oh, there's some cars and they come to life and they and they, they don't have any humans driving them and they, and they race around and they have their own little towns and things. 
Yeah, well, we that will come into this, I'm sure, because there were lots of parallels to Pixar films, including a lot of um, attempts to rip the piss out of them, while at the same time doing exactly what Pixar might well, if they well, were. Plus, well, plus, I mean, I mean, in fairness as well, Cars is a bad example in your attempts to use this bit here because that is a war that really does just make no sense. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the the thing is, this is literally just about a sausage who wants to uh, get off with a celibate through religion, uh, bun, right? That's it. And it's like there's lots of pretense about no, no, it's got a deeper meaning because it's about. Um, atheism it's about religion it's about uh well you know all that stuff is not actually really what the film is about it just seems to be shoehorned into a lower plot to progress and there's yep yeah, great fantastic it's it's a mainstream movie well as much as this is a mainstream movie talking about atheism uh which is unusual fine great congratulations but that's not really what the film is about the film is about having instead of a big dance scene at the end a big orgy with food that's it. That's it. There's one note, there's one joke stretched out, and I, I really want to say it's crap, but I don't think it is crap. I think comedy is kind of subjective anyway, you know, and all that. Um, and so some people will find it hilarious, such as the guy who was in front of me in the cinema, who on his way out turned to his mate and said, that's the best fucking movie I've ever seen. It's a bit of a stretch, but fair enough. So some people will absolutely love it because they'll find it funny. Um, I found bits of it funny, and I just can't bring myself to say it's shit because it seems unfair. It seems unfair to call it a crap movie when it can make other people feel like that. Do you know are, what are, I mean? you, are, you, are you basically just trying to damn it with faint praise because comedy for the rest of this year has mostly been absolutely terrible again, and you're just trying to give props to any movie that made you laugh at least twice? Yeah. Basically, yeah, that's it. Twice as well. There's a bit with a condom, which I'm not going to explain, and there was uh, a bit in the orgy at the end, which which made me laugh out loud. But otherwise, it was just like kind of shock, gross out humour that you would expect from a movie like this. But um, in an attempt to try and make itself seem more like a Trey Parker film, which was not going to happen, uh, it just it just feels a bit shallow but it's okay that it's shallow it's just the fact that it's trying to present itself as more than that which i find a little bit obnoxious but otherwise i mean whatever it's just a it's an adult animated comedy which is unusual to make it into cinemas it's uh uh there's some big names behind it it's it's just okay i mean what do i know that callum you've got quite a lot to say barely but steve i mean what is your actual opinion of sausage party Oh, terrible. Terrible. Just the worst kind of... I expect... Their, their comedies aren't the best. Um, mm. Their comedies aren't the best comedy. Yeah, good. I like a lot of the comedies that this, these people do. Um, but this is just... I expect better of them. Really? Honestly, this this I just found this immature, puerile, predictable, basic, just crap. Uh-huh. Lowest common denominator sort of humour, basically. Yeah. And and sometimes I like some lowest common denominator humour. Nothing wrong with lowest common denominator humour. I mean, the, the, but it's just... Yeah. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think your exacerbated, exacerbated sigh basically uh, indicates your opinion. So, Callum, give us the, the lowdown on this film. What did you think? Well, here's why you're all wrong. <laughs> no, no, uh, sorry. I, I... I fear too many of times when I come on here, I'm always one who's defending a film from you both, and I come across <laughs> too I come across too much as a here's what you're all wrong thing. So no, but seriously. Um uh, like like in genuine seriousness, I really, 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 really like Sausage Party. It comes with a caveat, but I don't think it's as funny as it could be. Um uh, uh, that, that's the thing. Uh, that's the thing of like if I handed out star ratings for whatever fucking reason um like that's why i'd have i'd have it a four rather than a five from that there because it's like it, it's not as funny as it could have been but really my thing about such a party is that it um it's smart about being dumb like because it's essentially uh, on, on the surface this is a really 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 dumb comedy mm-hmm. um and, that, and that's because for in a lot of ways it is um, and that's also essentially why I don't think it's ex- like I, I I wouldn't go as far as to call it hysterical because especially in the early going a lot of it plays very pushes very hard on the ha ha we're an animated comedy and we're saying fuck and shit and the c word and all these other bad yeah, naughty words you can you say you can say cunt on this podcast Callum it's in fine <laughs> yeah in an animated film ha ha aren't we so naughty fuck fuck shit astic um. Uh, uh, um, like it does have a bit too much, but instead, for the most part, what it is, it like is that on the surface, it is just this big, dumb, stupid comedy that's um, doing the usual adult animation thing of aiming to be, uh, aiming to just throw out a whole bunch of lazy stereotypes in every direction and that there in a desperate attempt to grab some shock humor because <gasps> cartoons can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, it's a lot. I say it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, for for one, for me, the film that it most reminded me of, because because when most films sit down and say that you know they are un PC humor, they take no prisoners, they throw shade at everybody, kind of movies and that there. Mm-hmm. What that usually means is like that. Usually that's bullshit. Usually what that means is just is an excuse for just the laziest. Um, punching down humor that you can find in that bear. Uh-huh. Just the ability to just make fun of everybody and go, oh, it's fine. Oh, it's fine. We don't really mean it. We're just being everybody. <laughs> Ricky Gervais. <clears throat> <laughs> Again, like like with no actual, um, like, like there's no actual meaning behind any of it. There's no, um, like there's no meaning behind any of it. There's no, uh, but, like, it, there's genuine like, yeah. intense hatred to it, basically, in that bear. Like, yeah, that's kind of what later seasons of that, what, okay, most seasons of Family Guy fall into. It's what a lot of modern South Park's fallen into as well, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely trying to have its cake and eat it in the sense that it's going, look, we've got this message which we've just put on the end, you know. Except, except, except if you let me finish it. I genuinely think Sausage Party pulls that off by subscribing to the Crank 2 school of, um, like, taking up as a human... Which is also another film I rewatched this week for the first time in a long while. Um, if you remember Crank to High Voltage, uh-huh. that movie is fucking ridiculous. Um, it is ludicrously dumb uh, and 
brazenly offensive, essentially punching through every single racial stereotype, sexual stereotype, um, multiple transvestite stereotypes, Asian stereotypes, um, gay stereotypes, sex um, sex jokes and that there, just like all of them at once and that there. But Crank 2, instead of actually just being this horribly offensive, tasteless piece of schlock, um, instead goes so far over the top and genuinely does spray its targets in every single direction at everybody, that it instead somehow manages to bypass like offensiveness and just loop straight back around to just be to just being hilarious. Mm. Um, and I feel I for me in any case, and I I, I am more than happy to be disputed against this because um, again, as a white male, um, I a giant privilege here to be able to say, oh, none of this really offends me in that there. So. If, like, if you do find it offensive, please do let me know about that. I'll hastily retract all comments here. Um, but I genuinely believe Sausage Pie actually manages to do that. It manages to actually throw its set, like, it manages to just about pass the line from offensive stereotypes straight through into just stupid, like, into just being hilarious again. Because it's all so brazenly over the top from the Mexican, from the Mexican lesbian taco and that bear who's fake. Ba- it's pretty mm-hmm. much every word and every action um, played by Summer Hayek about that yeah. is to is to desperately try and have sex with Brent to turn Kristen Wiig's Brenda into a lesbian at all costs, or the recurring um, jokes between um, Edward Norton's Woody Allen impersonating Sammy Bagel Jr. and David Crumholtz falafel as mm-hmm. essentially Iran Palestine um, uh, like like stand-ins and that as well uh, who. A force, you know, team with each other on their journey back to their respective aisles as well. Well, uh, is that? Um... But do you think that is it trying to be? Uh, I mean, that again, it's just shock humor to me. I, I, I wouldn't say that. For, for, for one, I, I'll get to that in a minute when we talk about the religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's but um, for one, especially for me, like it, it works on two levels. The first is that of the main cast, all of which are stereotypes of some kind, and that there. Um, they get enough time and development in that together that they kind of push past it, especially um, Sammy and the Falafel, uh, in a development that I won't spoil for people um, as well. But I will say is that, uh, but what I will say is that a film that it is able to simultaneously have its cake by having a group, by having a, by having um, a produce aisle of fruits be camp gays who snap fingers to whams, wake me up before you go go before they engage in battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also have gen- have a genuine homosexual relationship between two characters that's not played for laughs and not made a huge deal out of. Um, is that- and also because a lot of the other stereotypes are basically born out of the ability to make the absolute dumbest puns possible. Like the, can- like the Canadian six-pack beer, uh, like a six-pack of Canadian beer that wanders around everywhere saying sorry all the time, or the... Um, like, or the uh, German, I believe it's German alcohol that there who uh, want to exterminate the juice, as well, again, which is just again for going for just the stupidest, dumbest humor that there in in just like in that kind of like in the ridiculous old fashioned pun based humor that there, which uh, uh to borrow a quote from um cell specs of humor that there is sort of like the an- the animaniacs um kind of humor as well where they do silly smart human out there but also be really smart about their dumb jokes as well that kind of thing and that's how it, how it kind of works and so essentially that, that because it's also heightened and so smart about being dumb but it manages 
to just about cross offensiveness into being just genuinely funny. Also helped by the fact that Sausage Party is a movie with all the coverage of its convictions. Um, like when you immediately, like when people, like when people, you save a plot of Sausage Party, where the entire idea is basically to take the fridge hover, you know, the, the, the giant existential metaphysical questions of Pixar w- worlds, um, of how they a- interact and essentially take away that gray area. Like, like you know, like this, take away the suspension of disbelief and play it straight. Um, you sit there and then you think, okay, well, they're going to have to stop at some point. You, you know, like, like at some point they have to pull back. They can't, the film, for example, like the film, couldn't possibly end with the food all attempting to rise up and kill humans in order to be able, you know, you know in order to save themselves and out there. But instead, the film always, like, like there, there always seems to be a line you think it's going to have to stop at, but instead it keeps pushing through at all times. It just keeps going further and further and further on, right? Never, like, never stopping, never turning back, never chickening out. Um, it, it, so, like, in that respect, in that case, and uh, when you talk about the religious aspects, um, because, uh, like, like it, it works on both levels. Like, it works on two levels. For one, it works on the fact that, of course, Sausage Pie is basically one giant affectionate takedown of modern CG animation, um, especially modern kids' animated films, uh, well, family animated films, yeah, your Pixar's, many of your DreamWorks ones, and that as well, uh, where, of course, the entire joke is just playing up all of the... Um, like like all of those parts you don't think about and that there into like I'm uh, I'm just kind of blowing it up to high levels and that there. So for example, um, pointless villains in those movies, like you know, like as a Pixar example as well. You know, for example, um, Up Up doesn't need a villain, has a villain anyway for reasons that are kind of ten- strenuous and unnecessary. So what a sausage pie have though doesn't really need a villain. It really has. It has a literal douche played by Nick Kroll, which is incidentally perfect casting. Um, so again, like yeah, in 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 a way where it just exaggerates the hamminess and the darkness and that there, and how utterly pointless he is to the plot and that there, to just constantly hide hijack the movie out of things and that there. So, uh, it makes fun of that. It makes fun of the usual um uh, of the usual have to journey to um separate from X, have to get back to Y plot, like the staleness of other plots, um the stale the standard character tropes. And then also um, the, especially in Toy Story, the whole idea of um, these inanimate objects treating humans as gods, which um, is basically always kind of a very unsubtle metaphor for religion, uh, which Sarshapai instead then takes and plays straight in order to actually make a genuine point about religion and specifically about the idea of atheism. But whereas most atheist tracts end up just being a film or somebody constantly shouting at you but religion is dumb and you're stupid for believing in it um <laughs> ricky gervais um uh what so- sausage party instead continues into that smart about being a dumb nature out there by actually openly admit like by um calling out religion but also calling out those kind of douchebag atheists out there um there's a specific point in the movie as well where one character yeah, essentially yells to everybody that religion is a lie. You're all dumb for believing it. We need to do something. Um, in a way that instead crosses over into nihilism and repels everybody because that because as the film it, the film's eventual message is that there's nothing wrong with religion. You just you know with believing in something. You just always need to make sure to question it every now and again as well. 
which is more nuanced than most atheist tracks are in any case. Um, uh, and again, that's how the film essentially works for me, is that it's a really smart movie about being... It's a very smart movie that's uh, about acting incredibly dumb. Um, where, so a film that can have genuine... A film that can legitimately attempt to tackle the conversations about um, atheism one moment, then the next proceed to subtly critique um, how every... Like, subtly critique the formulaic nature and um for lack of a better term wussing out uh plots of these kinds of movies of you know what if blank had feelings kind of movies and then at the next moment play a meatloaf song on the soundtrack and hope what happens <laughs> to appear the ghost of meatloaf singing his own song as well it reminds me a lot of respects of another smart about being dumb comedy that came out just last week pop star never stop never stopping um which is also which was also the Lonely Island movie, for those mm-hmm. who don't know. Which was also a really, 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 really dumb movie, but was smart about its dumbness. I, I really like. I really liked Popstar Never Stop Stopping. Thank you. Somebody else actually saw Popstar. That's good. We yeah. we could be we could be ahead of a curve when everybody suddenly we like rediscovers it five years time. And goes, I liked it. Oh, I liked. Is- I liked it before it was popular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. As we should with old Jorma Tacone movies as well. If you have this, those you know, if you haven't seen McGruber, go fix that. Um, but like, where, like where Popstar is a very, very dumb movie. It's also very smart about it. Which, if you allow me to just very quickly move into a Popstar bit here as well, uh, reminds me of the um, the Equal Rights song, especially which, um, uh, which like on the surface is just a dumb, stupid joke of Conor Farrell trying to sing about equal rights, but also repeatedly stressing that he's not gay. Eventually, just yeah. listening to him naming a whole bunch of heterosexual things: um, hot wings, monster trucks, Leonard Skinner. Uh, but it's also really smart about essentially being a takedown of white male, uh, of insufferable white straight male allies um, of Macla, uh, of Macklemore, same love, and that perfect kick- kicker after the song's finished with Ringo Starr. But, you know, you know, he's singing about gay people being allowed to get married. Like that's not a thing. Like they can actually do that now. So. Like, and Sausage Party plays a lot of that exact same kind of humour, for me in any case. Um, again, it's not going to be for everybody, uh, like on, on the one hand, because again, a lot of it, again, a lot of it is the dumbest thing. It, it's a lot of his main stock and trade is dumb jokes um, and shock humour. Uh, the Comdom bit especially was just uh, like, like, like I genuinely thought I would be able to just tell all the jokes coming, and that was one that legitimately threw me for a curveball. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. And, and I'm kind of angry. With both you and myself, but we've alluded to it <laughs> on the podcast in case somebody went to go to see it. Like that. Um, but it, yeah, like, but it is. It's just a. It, it's a quietly smart, dumb comedy. Helps on by um, excellent voice cast from everybody. Um, like, like excellent vocal performances from everybody. Um, a great looking movie, even if the way that they did it, as we mentioned a few weeks back, was through slave. Was through essentially slave mm-hmm. labor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, we can at least leave Conrad Vernon out of it, if nothing else now that he did fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, all, all I can say is that by the end of the movie, I was, like, like I went in excited, but also slightly cautious, because it could have been so easy for this movie to have slipped into the worst-case scenario um, of just being substanceless, fuck, fuck, shit, shit, sex jokes. Um but instead, it did turn out to actually be 
a smart DOM um, satire of the current state of um, feature animation, of religion, and um, and also a movie in which every single time uh, in which every single time the villain douche says some kind of threatening word about there, the appropriate food stuff appears just off screen because mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I could not stop laughing at that that running gag about there. It's fun. It continues for me the streak of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg being two of the most absolutely consistent names in modern comedy. With very rare exceptions, they are always like they they turn in at least decent times of cinema. And I had a lot of fun with Sausage Party. And you know what? Considering the year that we've had so far, admittedly it's still better than last year, Matt Bear, but it's mostly just been meh. Um, I will take a film that I actually sat there, doubled over in hysterics for in at least twice. Oh, yeah. I, I will consider that a full-blown success. Yeah. Or you could just believe Steve, who says it's <laughs> Anyway. Um, that, that's, I suppose, all we have to say about Sausage Party. We've got some recommendations, though, um, for the week ahead. Um, I'm going to go with um, Netflix. Narco Season 2 is on there. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I will definitely try and make time for that in the next few weeks. Yeah, I watched Season 1 and it was it was brilliant. So mm-hmm. uh, The thing with Season 1, it started just phenomenally well and it tailed off a little bit but it was yeah. still pretty good by the end yeah um yeah so owen what about yourself i am also picking something that's been re- well two things that have been recently added to netflix um and they are bear with me the universal soldier films regeneration and day of reckoning both surprisingly good perhaps day of reckoning slightly better um absolutely nothing like the uh original 90s Jean-Claude Van Damme Dolph Lundgren uh Universal Soldier films which were a bit kind of tacky but I loved them I I loved Universal Soldier but it, I mean it is it's just a it's a shocky kind of sci-fi film Day of Reckoning is really violent graphically violent um no humour in it whatsoever. Van Damme is in it as a weird kind of cult leaderish type thing. Just, it, it, yeah, it's bizarre. Scott Adkins is great in it, though. Some great action scenes in there. And Regeneration, I guess, is still a little bit more mainstream. Universal Soldier Day Reckoning is a slightly more arty version of an action film. So, yeah, there you go. Those two. Okay, and Callum? Uh, well, for one, if you haven't yet, you should go watch Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping, if it's still playing near you. And if it isn't, you should go seek it out. Uh, but in actuality, uh, it has a rebuttal to the fact that this summer has been garbage, uh, both in terms of quality and also in terms of box office, um, which is why you might hear a few Hollywood execs running around head- like headless chickens tomorrow morning. Um, I would like to instead recommend to you three, like very quickly, don't worry, I'm not going to go into detail about them here, three excellent little mid-budget movies that came out this past summer that none of you saw, but were also really, really good and should have actually received time and attention to be the kind of movies Hollywood keeps making more of instead of sinking $250 million into whatever the next DC shit's going to be. Um, <laughs> so one, uh, there is Gavin Hood's Eye in the Sky, uh, which just hit DVD, I believe, this past Monday, uh, with the um, drama thriller about a prospective drone strike and the ethics thereof with a great ensemble cast, including Helen Mirren, um, uh, 
Helen Mirren, Alan Rickman in his final live action role, and Aaron Paul. Um, I found it to be a brilliant, tense, legitimately um, conflicted, like legitimately morally ambiguous movie in that bear, which properly follows through on its edict of just presenting the facts and leaving you to the side in the best way possible by always focusing on the human element. Um, like that's really good. You can check that out. Two, Jeff Nichols Midnight Special, which is essentially an arty Spielberg movie, which is essentially an art uh, art film version of a Spielberg movie. Um, check it out now before Jeff Nichols inevitably gets handed the keys to some kind of big budget blockbuster. So you mm-hmm. can say you knew him when he was cool. I knew him when he was doing was it Shotgun Stories, Michael Shannon. That was oh the one yeah, that was that was a Take Shelter. Take Shelter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That and uh, it, again, it might not be for everybody because it is. Because essentially, it's a Spielberg movie that starts in the middle and doesn't tell you what's ha- what mm-hmm. happened beforehand, except naturally, which I know is a stickler for a lot of people, but I think was really well done. Um, and has a great Joel Edgerton performance. So, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, Sing Street. Uh, the John Carney um, Irish mus- musical coming-of-age drama. I-, I hesitate to use the word musical because the musical comes in for sense that it's a band. Uh, playing yeah. own songs, I say, uh, but that's a wonderful little movie. Um, but a wonderful little crowd pleasing mu- uh, musical coming of age drama with fantastic performances, great songs that for the most part actually do sound like they, be- they belonged in the 80s new wave revolution, but you know, always just not quite good enough to make it mm-hmm. unbelievable that this is, you know, a student band. Uh, and I really, really liked it. Nothing else in that there. So there you go. If you need to go spend some money on DVDs on more mid budget phase, you go check those out. Okay. Or, you know, you could just go watch Suicide Squad again. <laughs> okay, Owen, um, we're back next week, aren't we? All three of us, I believe. Yeah, and Tony Black should be joining us next week and as well. I what is so, happening? What are we doing? What's new? Uh, well, Ben-Hur is out. Uh, if anyone <sighs> can be bothered to go and see Ben-Hur. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean but... I'll see it, but I mean, if we're only going to do three films, they're obviously going to be Don't Breathe, Kubo and the Two Strings and Hello High Water, aren't they? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I was just about to say uh, about Don't Breathe. Um, it's from the director Fede Alvarez. Yeah, Fede Alvarez, who did, that, uh, who did that actually pretty good, but we all forgot about it immediately, Evil Dead reboot from three mm-hmm. years back. Yep, so that's one that I'm quite looking forward to. Also uh, starring Jane Levy, who was also in yes. Evil Dead as well. Yeah. And yeah. it's a oh. Burgatory, which I think is on Netflix. You should all watch that if, 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 if it's on there. It's actually quite good. Hmm. Okay. So yes, that's all for this week's Fail Critics Podcast and we'll all be back next week for another adventure in film. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com on Twitter at Failed Critics and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Failed Critics. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.